0: And we welcome you this morning to Bible study. And we are going to begin a new topic today. We welcome our KFU listening audience. We're happy that you are here. So we're going to begin the book of Ephesians today. Okay? The book of Ephesians. A very important book. But we want to start out by talking a little about the city of Ephesus. It was a very important city, uh, a major city in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, a well-known city because this city housed the Temple of Artemis or in... in uh, uh, the Romans would call it the Temple of Diana. This temple was so large that it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Seven wonders of the ancient world. And the whole city, uh, there were certainly Jews there, but most of the people there Paid tribute to Artemis or Diana. There was a huge trade there in um, making images, statues of Diana, and they would sell them to people who came to Ephesus. It was a very lucrative. Practice. Now, it's. We have some help in understanding Ephesus because there are three chapters in Acts 18, 19, 20, and they all talk about Paul's missionary work in Ephesus. So we have some background information. Uh, there was a huge theater there, would seat 25,000 people. And uh, when Paul was there, he was there the first time on his second missionary journey. He stayed three months. It says he stayed three months. But on his third missionary journey, he stayed three years. This was the longest the Apostle Paul ever stayed at any mission outpost. So where we studied the book of Romans, that was a letter written uh, to the people, the Christians in Rome, whom he had never met. He had never been there. Ephesians is much different because he's writing to people he knows very well because he was there for so long. And what he came to realize was Ephesus could be a missionary outpost for all of Asia Minor. If you recall when we studied Colossians, Epaphras is mentioned, and we believe Epaphras, Paul sent Epaphras from uh, uh, Ephesus to Colossae and Ephesus to Laodicea to bring the gospel to them. So he used it as the base of missionary work in HMI, Ephesus was not on the water, but it had a harbor that was connected to the water by a river. So there was navigation there. Now, let's go back for a moment, and I want to read you a, a line from uh, Acts 19. because. There was a riot there, okay? There was a riot in Ephesus. Um, one of the artists, the guy, one of the guys that made these images of Diana, their trade was disappearing because Paul was proclaiming the gospel and nobody was buying statues anymore and images of this god. So he stirred up a riot. Uh, and and uh, so as the riot is building, uh, it says, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus... Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? That's what they believed. That this sacred stone fell from the sky and it was uh, connected with Artemis and Diana and they built this grand temple And that was the heart of Ephesus. So when Paul cut into the trade of buying images and statues, there was a riot. They had to get Paul on town. So um, we won't read all of that, but that's the background. So when was Romans written? We believe, I mean, not Romans, Ephesians. When was Ephesians written? We believe it was written as one of the four prison letters. The four prison letters are Philemon, Colossians, Philippians, and Ephesians. We believe that Paul was in Rome, in prison, and that it was written sometime, give or take a year, around 60 A.D. And this is where he would have written Colossians and uh, the letter to the Laodiceans. Some believe the letter to the Laodiceans is the Ephesian letter. And Epaphras would have carried them from Rome back to where the missionary or, or, or someone carried them back to where the missionary work was being done in Asia Minor. So um, there's not really any dispute that Paul wrote it. I mean, some liberal scholars try to cast doubt on it. But uh, so Paul wrote it to these churches in Asia Minor, especially Ephesus, about 60 A.D. Now, it's unlike many of his letters. Because in many of his letters, he had concerns with what was going on there. In Colossae, he was concerned that Gnosticism was affecting them. In Galatia, he was concerned that uh, men were perverting the gospel. First Corinthians, he was concerned because there were divisions in that church and they were practicing, had bad practice concerning certain things. But in Ephesians, we don't find that acts that Paul has any concern. It's a general letter, a general letter. And it covers a number of topics, speaks to them, and he moves on. But we don't see that he has any axe to grind with the people in Ephesus. It's just a letter of instruction and encouragement um, to this place where he spent so much time, had so much invested in them, that uh, uh, it's a very important letter. And so uh, let's uh, begin to talk about, let's begin to look at the verses of the letter itself in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, um, it begins like all letters, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay, now he's, he adds that in several of the letters he writes because he wants to make it clear he did not appoint himself to this. It is through God's work. And of course, the road to Damascus and everything that happened after that. It is God that chose Paul, not Paul chose to do what he was going to do. That's very important because no one we, we don't allow people to just usurp to be a spiritual leader in the church. We we don't We don't do that. You chose a man to receive a call to be your pastor. You chose him. He didn't show up and decide, I'm your pastor. So uh, Paul is making it clear that it was through God's action. That's very important. It was very important when he wrote to those in Galatia because there were those that accused him of usurping the office. But, uh, so he added that by the will of God. All All right. To the saints who are in Ephesus, okay, saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful ones in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace here means joyful greetings. And grace is indeed also a reminder of God's grace to us. Peace. uh, The concept goes all the way back to the concept of shalom in Hebrew. Grace and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's his opening greeting. Now, it's very interesting that from verse 3 to verse 14, in the Greek New Testament, it is one sentence one, 11 verses. One sentence. There is no punctuation. It is to show the unity of what's being said. Further, if we look at this, it's divided in three sections. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, concern the Father, 1, verses 7 to 12, concern the Son, and 1, verses 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit. It is Trinitarian. So it is unified, one sentence, but all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. It is a song of praise some kind sometimes called a prayer this is from uh, the old testament berakah it was a praise it was a praise because it doesn't mention anything about us that's the difference between praise and prayer Praise is always about God's work and what He's done. Prayer is us coming with requests. This is pure praise of what God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have done for us. There are baptismal allusions throughout this in the words he uses. And baptism is connected with predestination. We'll talk about that in a moment. There are a number of words or phrases that are used in this that are used repeatedly in the book of Ephesians. So it's like the start of it And the themes he mentions are going to be discussed further when he uses the same words in Ephesians. Some of those words are grace, heavenly places, holy and without blemish, will and purpose, inheritance and sonship, the blood of Christ, the richness of grace, mystery, and Holy Spirit. So if you trace those words in Ephesians, you will find that those words are used again and again throughout the book. The other important thing about these 11 verses is this. Everything that's said is followed by in Christ or in him. Because God deals with us either in judgment or in Christ. All blessings are in Christ. And so he says it over again. In him or in Christ is repeated throughout these first 11 verses. Okay? so. We'll start this one long sentence now. In your in your New Testament translation, they put periods, okay? Periods and commas, but in the Greek text, there are none. Okay. All right. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us. In that the phrase "in is in every spiritual blessing, but it can also be translated correctly in every blessing of the spirit. We think that that's better lie, because in the first verse of this Trinitarian praise, If you say in every blessing of the spirit, all three members of the Trinity are mentioned in the first verse, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, every blessing uh, in every blessing of the spirit in the heavenly places, and then it says it, in Christ. Okay, there are no blessings for us except in Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us blessings based on what Christ did. The Father gives us blessings based on what Christ did. So all three members of the Trinity are listed, but it's always in Christ because He's the one that made this happen. And in the heavenly places means in the realms even of the throne of God, even of the throne of God. This is not just an earthly thing. This extends uh, to the heavens itself, to the heavens itself. So that's the opening verse of this long uh, sentence. Now, let's go on. Inasmuch uh, as he chose us, what does it say, in him. There it is again. Going to be all through this. God does not choose anybody apart from Jesus Christ. Because we're sinful people and he would not choose us. It's in Christ that God chose us. And that's a very important uh, uh, thing to remember. It is always in him. You cannot deal with God yourself in Christ. Okay? Um, In him. Okay, so he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be, uh, for you to be holy and blameless in his presence or before his face. So we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. So this took place before the foundation of the world. Now, here's the important thing to remember, and this is where we get into the whole predestination thing, Uh, that some believe uh, you're predestined uh, to go to heaven and some are predestined to go to hell. Notice it emphasizes you're only chosen in him. That tells us God did not, before the foundation of the world, arbitrarily say, this one's in, this one's out. It's in Christ. This was not an arbitrary decision. This was part of his plan. This was part of his plan, and it all centered around Jesus Christ. It was not an arbitrary decision by God that some should be saved and some should be damned. What it's talking about here is only those in Christ. But we know that he did not choose for people that they would go to hell. It's their own rejection. Okay? Okay their own rejection yes rejecting Jesus Christ now let's go on we'll add to this in love he predestined you into the adoption through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will okay He predestined us in to adoption. Anytime you see the word adoption in the New Testament, it refers us to baptism. Because you see, Jesus is the Son of God. We're the adopted children of God through baptism. So it's linking here, predestination and baptism. What Paul is saying is, if you doubt that your, if you doubt your faith in Jesus Christ, what is the one thing you can point to to give you assurance? Baptism. Luther did that. Luther was questioned, and and he had written on the table. How do you know this? And he pulled back the sheet and there it said, I am baptized. Okay. Baptism is the key. Okay. So we're adopted. And you can be sure by looking at your baptism through Jesus Christ into himself, according to the Good pleasure of his will. The word for good pleasure, this word, this Greek word, is used nowhere that anybody can find in secular Greek. It is only used in the New Testament. And the word actually infers that the good pleasure of his will, God was glad to do it. He was happy to do it. He was happy to make the decision to save us. It pleased him. It gave him joy. That's the implication of this word. To the joy of his will. To the... He, he was pleased to do it. Happy to do it. Even though we didn't deserve it. He was happy to do it. Now, uh, 6. To the praise of His uh, glorious grace which He gave to us in the beloved. That's, of course, Christ in many of your translations, beloved, will be capitalized. So, in other words, he's told us what the Father has done. Chosen us for the foundation of the world. And predestination here is a comfort. Because what it's saying is, when you were baptized, you belonged to God. And he's going to work in your life and keep you in that faith until you are in heaven. And he's given you those blessings in Christ, in the beloved, not apart from him, but in Christ. In Christ. And so the first section is on the Father. But the last word of the first section is the son. Because now he's going to introduce the second person of the Trinity. Everybody with me? Okay. All right, we'll move on here. Now we're ready for seven. In him starts again. Always in Christ, in Him, we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Okay, redemption. He bought us back in His blood, by His blood. And therefore, we have the forgiveness of. And actually, the, it's not the forgiveness of sins here. It's the forgiveness of trespasses. Now, let's talk for just a minute about the three words that we use for sin. Um, and they each have a different connotation. The word sin is an archer's term that means you miss the bullseye. You miss the bullseye. You miss the target. God's target of being perfect. Transgression is a different image. You know the old game, I dare you to cross this line? That's transgression. I dare you to cross this line. And what do we do? We cross it iniquity is the third word and iniquity means unevenness you know sometimes we're good and sometimes we're bad so the word used here is transgression stepping over the line stepping over the the line all right so We have the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace. Only by God's grace is this happening. He did it even though we didn't care enough that he'd do it. He did it even though we didn't care if he did it. But he still did it. That's his grace. But notice again, what does it say? In him we have this. There it is again. Okay, verse 8. And he poured out upon us. The word poured out is automatically what? Baptism or the water. This word is used to point to baptism. Lavished, okay? Yeah. And and he did this, he poured out upon us in all wisdom, Sophia okay. and understanding. Okay. So he gave us all this. Um, And then it says, and he made known to us the mystery of his will, the mystery of his will, according to his good favor again. Okay. Now, what's the mystery? Uh, Paul uses the word mystery several times in different books. It was used four or five times in uh, the book to the Colossians. I think it's used six times in Ephesians. If we look at all the uses, it's basically two things. The first part of the mystery is the gospel itself, that God kept as a mystery Throughout the Old Testament, it was veiled that he was going to send his own son and save us through his own son's death and resurrection. It was a mystery. People did not fully understand it until it happened. The second part of the mystery, which he also refers to, is that the Gentiles would be included, that it wasn't just for Jews, it was for Gentiles. Here, because of the context, we believe the emphasis is on the gospel itself. It's in the section on the sun. It was a mystery that he was going to to uh, to do this, to accomplish our redemption and uh, uh, forgiveness of sins through His blood. All right, according to His good pleasure, um, which, uh, let's see here, the best way to translate that, um, uh, I would say, um. Let's read it. Let's read it like this. Which he poured out upon us all wisdom and understanding, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose. Okay. Let's use purpose. According to the purpose in Christ. In him. There it is again. It's almost every verse. In him. All right. Now, the next phrase, um, in the administration of the fullness of time. Now, the word for administration could be stewardship, could be management. It's a hard word to translate. But notice, he did this, it was his purpose in the management of the fullness of time. That causes us to remember that phrase in Galatian. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So what it's saying here is that Christ fulfills the times, okay? The order of the times in him, okay? The order of the time. And uh, then you, you, you don't see this. There's a Greek word about that long. And it means sums up. He sums up all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things the earth. In him. Again. Again. Okay. In other words, the sum of all time. The sum of all God's timing. For the world is Jesus Christ. When he said Jesus Christ. It all makes sense in him, it's all fulfilled in him, be it on earth or be it in heaven. In him he is the sum of all the times of all time that's what's being said here Uh, now let's go back all right now verse uh, 11 in whom we share an inheritance being predestined According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's kind of a complicated mess. Um, Okay, in him, in Christ again, we share an inheritance. What is your translation? Attain, okay. So we share an inheritance um, being predestined according to the purpose of the one who works all things according to the purpose of his will. In other words, what's being said is you are obtaining an inheritance because of the actions of God that he has worked according to the purpose of his will from before the foundation of the world. In other words, it's a summary statement of God doing all this exactly according to his plan. Okay, and, and then it says um, for us to be uh, uh, the praise of his glory who first hoped in Christ, okay? So now the implication is that we are uh, actually the glory of God because we first hoped in Christ. We are praising His glory. All right. Again, in Christ. The first to hope in Christ. All right. That's the end on the song. Now we have two verses on the Holy Spirit. In whom? you also have heard the word of truth, the gospel or good news of salvation, of your salvation, in which of believing you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, so it starts out You have heard the word of truth, the word of the gospel of your salvation, which you believe, and you are sealed. A seal is set upon you. There are a number of times in the scriptures that seals are put on people. Uh, A seal was put on Cain. That was a bad one. Seals are put on people's foreheads in the book of Revelation. The seal is a sign of ownership. A sign of ownership. So when God puts, the Holy Spirit puts a seal on you, it is a sign of ownership. When did that occur? Baptism. Okay. God said, this child is mine. Okay? So, um, having been, received all these blessings of Christ, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the earnest or guarantee of your inheritance. The earnest for guarantee. In other words, the Holy Spirit is your earnest and guarantee of your salvation. And how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? I am baptized. See, it keeps... This is... Paul didn't write this. God did. This is too good for Paul. Okay? Uh... God put this together. He inspired him to write this. Uh, it all comes back. And then um, uh, to close out, uh, he says, um, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Until we acquire the possession of it. That's referring to Christ's second coming, full possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, I don't know if anybody was counting. I wasn't. I don't know how many times it said in him or in Christ, but it was all over it. It's all over it. God deals with us in Christ. So, one sentence. Ten times? Barb kept track. Ten times in 11 verses. Yes. Well, uh, they did, but they ignored him. Uh, They ignored him. Um, And they, well, uh, they they made two mistakes. Uh, They rebaptized, and they believed that you had to decide it was your decision and instead of grace, instead of grace. Anabaptists, he asked if Anabaptists had this book. It's so clear the Anabaptists rose at Luther's time and they rebaptized uh, constantly. So, uh, no, you, you'd think if they had this book, they wouldn't do that. Yeah, I think the argument has to be this. Uh, The question is, um, if somebody just read this and you were arguing with them about predestination, on the basis of just the words, it would be difficult to make the case. I would come back to this. Most theories of predestination say that God did this arbitrarily. Arbitrarily before the foundation of the world. What I would point to in this is that 10 times he says 11. 10 times he says it's in Christ. It's not an arbitrary decision. That's the way I would make the case. And love, not an arbitrary decision. There is no mention made that he chose others to be damned. And there isn't in the whole Bible, because he didn't do that. That's right. The mention of adoption and that baptism language puts it in proper context. Correct. We cannot make the assumption that because, and many people do this, because God chose some to be saved, he must have chosen some to be damned. That's incorrect. God shows some to be saved. What happened? Others rejected his offer. They rejected Christ. All right, anything else? Great way to start a book. Okay, and now it's all there. Now we're going to pick up themes from this very, very, uh, section. Yeah, that's. Well, it says God would have all men to be saved. But the fact is, the doctrine of predestination says he chose and he's going to make sure they get to heaven. Yeah, going to make sure. We discussed that in Romans for weeks. Huh? All right. Yes. Trespass is the same as transgression. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, we'll pick up there next week and continue in Ephesians and uh, see what he has for us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.